You know, we often think about uh, worship as something we do when we sing, but the Bible tells us that we even worship when we read God's Word together, right? One of the things he says to do is to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so together, we've been reading as we've gone through the Ten Commandments through Exodus chapter 20. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 20 together. When we get to today's command in, in verse 16, we're going to read it together as a congregation. So Exodus chapter 20. God's word says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourners within who are within your gates." For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You may be seated. Pontius Pilate, as he was scrubbing his hands of any responsibility to do with the death of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus, asked a famous question. And it was ultimately to try to push away any wrongdoing on himself. As everything was going on and Jesus was being unjustly tried and he was headed toward crucifixion, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And our culture, in many ways, is left asking the same question. Truth is the central issue in our lives. We live in a world where people talk about fake news, right? What happened? What really happened and why? We celebrate those who speak, quote, truth to power, right? And we long for justice to be done, and justice is simply truly and fairly applied weights and measures. We're a culture hungry for truth. Yet at the same time, our culture would also encourage others to live your truth. And let me live my truth, right? We believe that Somehow, truth is something that we all long for, and yet many of us think it's, it's ultimately defined by our own self-perception of reality. We long for truth to be objectively known, yet we treat it like a subjective buffet. We can sort of take what we want, leave what we want. Friends, and let me tell you this, when it comes to reality and it comes to truth, you can't have it like Burger King, right? 
You can't have it your way. There are things in this world that are true regardless of whether you want them to be or don't want them to be. And there are things that are false no matter how much you may want them to be true or not. No matter how hard or truly we believe something, reality is always shouting at us. Let me offer you an example. Friends, in our world today, there's people that will try to argue that, well, you know, our our gender is fluid and disconnected from our sex, and we can identify as whatever we want, and, and, and it doesn't really matter about that. And yet, at the same time, these folks desire to have surgeries to change their biology. If their self-perception was all that matters, they really shouldn't, just shouldn't matter what their biology is, right? And yet, it's a, it's a fact of life that is shouting at them, that ultimately they know that they want to try to make the world around them match what they perceive their self-perception to be. Objective truth yells at us even as we try to deny it. And no matter what our self-perception may say, friends, God has given us a world with objective truth in it that we can seek and know and pursue. And truth is the issue of today's commandment. As we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments, we're to the second to last week Commandment number nine, and, regard, and depending on when you went to Sunday school, you might remember this commandment a little bit differently, right? You might have memorized the very simple, do not lie. Or maybe you remembered it as we read it today, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Both kind of get at the command. The first is a little bit more general, and I don't necessarily think helpful in certain ways. The second gets a little bit more at a courtroom context. But if we were to bring down this command to a central point, to one statement of what the ninth commandment means, it would be this. We must testify to the truth. We must testify to the truth. Friends, truth exists and truth matters. And as God's people, we serve a God of truth. And thus, we must seek to uphold, defend, seek, and celebrate the truth wherever it's found. And we need to recognize God has given us two books of truth in this world. God wrote two books. One, God made a world, right, a physical world. And the Bible says God speaks to us through beautiful days like today shouting, going, I'm here, I exist, this is who I am. And God's also written us a personal book to tell us who he is. And so we need to recognize truth when it's found in both the world around us and in the word that God gave us. And we also need to recognize that, friends, falsehood never brings about flourishing. It might bring about some better feelings for a while, But friends, truth and flourishing go hand in hand. Deception hurts people, and we're called to love people with truth. And so as I think about the ninth commandment today, there are three ways that God calls us to testify to the truth and obey the ninth commandment. Let's look at these together. First, we testify to the truth in our thoughts. We must testify to the truth in 
our thoughts. Friends, before it ever comes to speaking the truth or living in light of the truth, you got to know what the truth is, right? You got to believe the truth. And the Bible tells us that believing falsehood is one of the core problems with humanity. Have you ever looked around and went, what's wrong with the world? Romans 1 tells us this. This is what Romans 1 says is wrong with the world. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You notice here in what Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the word because is doing a lot in the sentence. He tells us that lies about big things like who God is and the nature of God trickle down into believing lies about other things, such as ourselves and who we and others are. Romans is saying that God was giving these people over toward lusts and impurities because they exchanged truth for a lie. Idolatry is the greatest form of falsehood because false worship always leads to false living. And Romans 1, three times in the passage, if you read it, says God was giving these people over in greater and greater descent. Here's the point. We're told that lies lead to slavery. Truth leads to freedom. Lies lead us into slavery. And Romans 1 tells us that there are times where God says, okay, if you want to believe that, here, have more of it. (laughs) You want to believe that here? Let me show you what this falsehood will get you. Lies lead to slavery, but truth leads to freedom. Jesus puts it this way. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. While lies bring slavery, the truth brings freedom. And the truth can never bring you freedom unless you know it, believe it, and abide upon it. you got to take the truth and put it in you and pursue it and know it and think about it. Have you ever thought about thinking? Maybe this is something only I've done this week. I don't know. But you ever realize this? God's given us brains to process information and to think our way toward understanding. And as a pathway, our brains aren't always perfect, right? There's things that, there, there's things that they'll often think and, 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 and conclusions they'll draw that aren't correct. But God's at least given them at least a way to get toward truth and toward life change. And the Bible actually invites us and calls us to think. Paul writing to his protege, Timothy. While Timothy was in the midst of suffering, he calls Timothy to think, to reflect on the truth of God in the midst of his suffering. Let me show you this. This is what Paul says to young Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops here. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Second Timothy gives three illustrations, right? He says, hey, the Christian life's like being a soldier. Please the one who enlisted you. It's like being an athlete. Run to finish the race. And it's like being a hardworking farmer. Work for the crop, for the day of the harvest. And Paul says, live like that. But before you can ever live like that, you got to think about these things. Then understanding comes. Then life change begins. Think. Some of us have a faith that's all heart and no head. Let me tell you something. You can have a faith that's all head and no heart, and that's just as dangerous, but I don't think that tends to be our bent. Our bent tends to be, I love Jesus, but I know nothing about him. And how can you love someone you know nothing about? What would it mean if I said I love my wife, but I don't even know her birthday? Or her favorite food, right? We've got to have a head and a heart that pursues God. And friends, that takes work. Soldiers work hard. Athletes work hard. Farmers, it even says like a hardworking farmer. Friends, truth often may not be easy or quickly found. The easy answer may not always be the true answer. But we're to testify to the truth by thinking by meditating on these things, by reflecting on it. This is why when we come to the Bible, we often call it Bible study, right? Because even truth out here is no good for you unless the truth gets in here, right? You got to think on it, chew on it. The food out here is no good to you when you're hungry unless you eat it and get it in here, right? So consider this, what fills your mind? What do you marinate on? What do you let into your mind just to soak throughout the day? Friends, let me tell you this. Every decision you've ever made began with a thought. And some of you, really bad decisions would have been avoided with a second thought, right? While for others, some of our best decisions came through years and times of contemplation. But the mind can only chew on what you give it. You get which you put in. The Bible says it this way, Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says this, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. He says, you will seek what you set your mind on. You will seek what you set your mind on. So friends, what are we seeking? What are we setting our minds on? What are we testifying to be true and what we think about? Because by speaking lies, by, by thinking about and seeking lies, we experience slavery in our sin. But by seeking truth, we experience freedom. We know the truth, and the truth sets us free. We testify to the truth in our thoughts. Second, we testify to the truth in our words, in our words. This is where most of us kind of begin to understand this command because folks who told you sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Those folks obviously never had anything mean said to them before, right? 
Words hurt. At least they can, right? And God cares about what we say. And God actually has much to say about what we say. Let me give you a couple of verses. I love this. This is Proverbs chapter 6. And this is going to hurt some of our theology a little bit. There are six things that the Lord hates. Some of you are all like, I didn't think the Lord hated nothing. Sorry. You came... There's six things the Lord hate, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Did you notice two of the seven things listed there that are an, that are an abomination, things that God hates, involve our tongue? Our words, Jesus teaches us that one of the primary fruits by which God judges the genuineness of our faith is our words. Matthew chapter 12 says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? I love when Jesus is just off the cuff, right? Then he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be judged, and by your words you will be condemned. Words testify to the reality of our hearts. Good trees bear good fruit, and our words testify to the reality of our hearts. And friends, some of us may be able to hide from other people around us. Put on a good face. We use nice words, but then when you get in the car, I got some other stuff to say, right? Let me tell you something. God's in the car. He can hear you. He hears what you whisper to your friend that you don't think anybody else hears what we say and really think about others. God hears and judges our words. And this is why James, the Apostle James, actually says we should be careful who are teachers because in teaching, and he means spiritual teachers primarily, spiritual teachers talk a lot, amen? <laughs> I know I do. You can say amen to that. I'm not going to be offended. It's okay. And he says you've got to be careful because it can, it can lead to greater condemnation because you simply said too much. James says the tongue is like a, a rudder. It's small, but it steers the whole ship. It's like a small fire that can burn down a whole forest. It is full of deadly poison, and we all know only a small bit of poison is all that it takes to kill someone. It has the power to bless and the power to curse. King Solomon echoes these concerns, and he says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, friends, your tiny tongue is a big deal, right? How we speak, the words we use, and the way we communicate makes a huge difference. And let me just say, some of us, when we're thinking about our words, are thinking only about things we say. But friends, we have another way of communicating today, don't we? I left my phone down there. But we're able to text, share, Tweet. I don't even think people tweet anymore, right? Instagram, Snapchat, 
TikTok, whatever it is, friends, those are, those are things that are brought under these commands about our words. And the Bible provi- actually provides us some guidelines as to how to use our words. In fact, Ephesians 4 gives us a principle that I think is so key. Let's look. This is the principle for our words. We're to speak the right thing in the right way in the right time. We got to speak the right thing. There's content in the right way. There's context and there's the, for the right motive. And then there's, frankly, the right time, friends. There's a timing for these things. Let me show you this in Ephesians chapter 4. Three verses that speak to this. First, Ephesians 4.15 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ. In other words, it asks us to think about, it is sort of a, a tight walk or a tight rope. You got to walk, right? You got to speak truth in love. Do we say what is true? Do we spread false information? Do we slander others? It says we're not simply constrained to say something because it's true. I think most of us are are big truth people here in small town Katie's, right? We want you to tell it like it is. Sometimes you can tell it like it is. You can say something true, but not do it in the right way. You don't do it in love. You can be a truth teller without love. We all know people who are blunt and even ruthless and don't speak the truth in love. This is not the time to look around, right, at your neighbor, right? We all know there's lots of people, though, who out of a desire for love actually conceal the truth. Like, well, what if I just lie to them? Or, 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 but Paul would tell us, friends, that a lie is never a loving thing. Here's the second part from Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He says, put away falsehood, speak the truth, for we're members one of another. Of course, Paul's context was to a church there in Ephesus, and he said, you're a body, and you wouldn't want your hand to lie to your foot, Right? You wouldn't want your brain to lie to your heart. He says we're to speak the right thing, but we're to speak it in love, speak it in the right way. We're to put away falsehood. And while the content of our speech matters, friends, so does the timing. You ever said something and you, you were right in what you said? You even maybe had the right motive in saying it, but you just said it at the wrong time. Men, right? <laughs> You just brought it at the wrong time. Look what Paul says here. I love this. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If you ever wanted a verse to keep you from discussing politics at the Thanksgiving table, friends, that does not fit the occasion. <laughs> It is simply not the time. And Paul is is commenting on the ninth commandment here and saying our talk should be pure without corruption. It should be with the goal of building up rather than tearing down. This means that just because something is true doesn't mean it's necessarily helpful for the moment, right? But it also, friends, needs to fit the occasion. 
In other words, the goal should be to give grace to the hearer. Something can be true, but communicated without the right timing. Friends, this is actually why the ninth commandment forbids gossip. Did you know gossip is actually truth spoken to the wrong person who didn't need to hear it? Right? Gossip can often be a true thing, but that person doesn't need to know it. It's in the wrong context. The ninth commandment forbids the use of truth as a weapon. Have you ever thought, I'm going to speak the truth to them and you're going to use it in order to hurt them as a weapon? (laughs) Right? That's one of the things the ninth commandment forbids. But rather, our speech should be careful to testify to the true, the good, and the beautiful, and to be spoken in the right way at the right time. We testify to truth in our thoughts, what we think on, what we reflect on, what we chew on, with our words, how we communicate with one another. And finally, we testify to the truth in our deeds. We testify to the truth in our deeds. In other words, friends, we got to live in light of what we believe to be true. Truth is ultimately something you walk in. Here's a beautiful truth from the Psalm. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. What you believe in your head and your heart has to make its way down to your feet and into your hands. Because ultimately, how you walk testifies to what you believe. You can believe in truth, yet walk by lies. Friends, there are many of us that would preach family values for other people, and yet, friends, we don't have family values in our own home. (laughs) We'd want to fight about folks living, and we'd want our kids and go, man, look at the way the culture is going, but we live just like the culture in so many other ways. The ninth commandment warns us about the real dangers of hypocrisy. Here's the point. Our walk must match our talk. Our walk must match our talk. The ninth commandment warns us about making a confession of faith that's empty, that doesn't impact how we live. Some of us are trusting in an empty prayer we prayed after a preacher one day that really didn't change your life at all. Some of you think it's like witchcraft. If I just sort of said the incantation after the guy, I bowed my head, I prayed, I said the words, friends, I'm good. I checked the box. But friends, Jesus actually speaks about this and gives a real warning that I think we all need to hear. This is Matthew chapter 7, as he's coming toward the end of his Sermon on the Mount, and he's landing the plane. And here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me say this. He isn't teaching a works-based salvation here. We're going to see that in a second. But he is going after those who would think that I'm going to just call him Lord, but live however I want. I'm going to give empty confession and empty words. But here's how Jesus goes on. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice, the issue at stake was not simply a confession. There are many people who will call Jesus Lord, but not live like he's Lord. They'll give empty words, but it won't impact how they live. 
The issue wasn't simply their works. But these, these people could even point towards some works, couldn't they? They said, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? But the issue here is did they know Jesus and did Jesus know them? Notice he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You talked about me, but you didn't know me and I didn't know you. There wasn't a, a relationship with us. And friends, I'm convinced that one of the places most ripe for harvest in America today is the American pew. Many of us want to talk about, we've got to get more people in here, but friends, we've got to get in here right too. And there are tons of Christians today, even baptized Christians, who know more about the stats of UK basketball players than they know verses in the Bible, than they know the gospel. And there's a temptation, particularly in a small town like ours, to treat church as a social club. I've got to go to church and I've got to join it because if I don't, people will look at me funny and I'll never get any business if I'm not in the church. We make it more of a social club we're with community social standing rather than what the church is meant to be, which is a battleship for the kingdom of God, an outpost for missionaries into our community. So let me speak the truth to you firmly in love. Your involvement here, your membership, even your giving in this church means nothing if you are not in a saving relationship with Jesus. It does not earn you favor with God to be here today. You didn't make the big man upstairs, which that's another conversation we'll get into another day. You didn't make the big man upstairs happy because you, simply because you showed up today and walked in the door. You can call yourself a Christian. You can call yourself a follower of Jesus. You can even call yourself a disciple. You can, you can do all of these things and yet still not know him. You can hear on the last day, depart from me, I never knew you. So some people are always going, well, well how, how can I know that Jesus knows me and I know him? Let me speak firmly to you the gospel that saves. The gospel, the good news. This is what you need to place your trust in in order to be saved. And before we can understand the good news, the gospel to be good, we've got to start with some bad news. And the bad news, friends, is that we are sinners, separated from a holy and righteous God. God is righteous and perfect. He's so perfect. He would never allow someone who's broken the law to go free. And friends, all of us, I think we see today, even the preacher, have broken the ninth commandment, right? We could even talk about the other ones if we want, right? All of us have broken God's law. And we stand before him as a criminal, before a judge who's never gotten a case wrong, guilty before him. And the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. That's the bad news, friends, that we will stand before God condemned in and of ourselves. But the good news, friends, is that there's one who came to pay our fine. We owe a debt we could never pay. Jesus came to live a sinless and perfect life, to die on the cross in our place, and to rise again on the third day. He walks in the courtroom and says, I will lay down my life to pay their penalty, even though he did nothing wrong. That's the good news. And now let me give you the better news. The even better news is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
For by grace you were saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. How does Jesus then stand in your way? How do you receive his death and resurrection in your place? You don't simply clean up your life. You don't start giving more money. You don't start coming to church. You don't start doing all those things. No, friends, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Just as you came in today and you had to, friends, you could, I could give all sorts of arguments as to why the chair you sat in today exists. I know up here it exists, right? It's there. I can touch it. Right? But friends, the chair can exist, but at some point you got to sit down in it, don't you? You got to put your weight and your trust in it, Right? And that is what we're commanded to do, to place our faith in Jesus, to put the full weight of our sin upon him and know he will hold it up and forgive us because he has died in our place and risen again. And so I would ask you this, have you fully placed your trust in Jesus to save you, not in your own words or your own works? If your first thought is, man, I already prayed that prayer, Friends, you may need to worry you're trusting in your own words, not in something that God has done in you. Friends, or are we trusting in our own works, thinking that because maybe we were, we were baptized as a kid, or maybe because we're coming to church, or maybe because we're doing whatever, that we're okay. But do we know and love, and have we placed our full weight in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? Friends, maybe today you're worried. You're like, I don't know if I've done this. I don't even know if God would ever receive someone like me. Let me offer you words of hope. Others will lie to you. You might even deceive yourselves. Friends, there is one who will never lie to you, and he promises to receive you. And in fact, the Bible tells us that one of the things God cannot do is lie. Do you know there's something God couldn't do? He can't lie. In fact, the book of Hebrews speaks about God's promise to save us through Jesus. And here's what he says. He says this, God guaranteed his promise with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, have fled for, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, the point is Jesus has done what none of us could ever do. And it's done what even the law could never do. The law could never bring Moses into the innermost parts of heaven. It could bring him to the foot of the mountain, scared at the holiness of God. But only Jesus can take us into his presence with boldness and fearlessness, coming as a child, not as a criminal. God has made a way for us to know him truly, to know the world and to know his word and to know the truth. And to have our hope anchored. Today, would you say you have a hope that is a steadfast and sure anchor? 
One built on the firm foundation of Jesus, not on the sands of works or empty words. Today, if you need to know the one who is the truth, start by calling on the one who says he is the truth. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. In these next few moments, I want to invite you to respond to God's preached word. For some of us, that simply means to give praise where we are and to sing loud and proud toward the God of truth. For others, it may mean repenting of some dishonesty in our life, and that's okay. God's ready to receive those who repent and confess and turn to him. For others, we may need to take a step of faith to know the God of truth for the very first time. You can call on him where you are. And the Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not in maybe a canned prayer, but from our hearts truly calling on him to save us. I'll be down front if you need someone to pray with you or to come forward. The steps of the stage are open. Whatever you need to do, the word of God has been spoken. And the invitation is to do business with God. Let us stand and let's pray together. God of truth, we pray right now that you would put away falsehood from our hearts. The Lord, you would give us a longing to know the truth because the truth will set us free. And that you'll give us hearts ready to receive the truth and hearts ready to respond to the truth. And right now, Lord, help us to praise you unhindered. Help us to come to you freely and boldly. Maybe for the first time, come to know you in a true relationship, not built again on empty confessions or empty works, but solely on your work on our behalf. Lord, do work among us as we respond to your word. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
the God of truth has spoken through his word, and we've responded. Let me give you words of encouragement today. If the sermon even strikes you throughout this week, let me know that, let, let me tell you, he stands ready to hear you when you call. Wherever you are, you don't have to be in some special place for God to respond to you. He's everywhere, and he's ready for any who come and call upon the name of the Lord. If today you want to connect more with our church, there's some connect cards in the back. I'd encourage you, fill those out, drop it in the basket on your way out. We'd love to follow up with you and your family. We'll be closed today with a blessing from God's word, a benediction, a prayer as we go into the world and out into the world this week. This from Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.